Welcome to Here We Journey. This is the first full episode. Glad you joined me. This uh, look back, maybe, on where I've been, what my journey has been so far. So, I think the easiest way to do that, if you have been on social media lately, you have seen that there is a 10-year challenge, uh, primarily on places like Facebook. I think TikTok got a little bit too. So I I, I got to thinking, 10 years ago, that would have been 2011. 2011, my daughter was one, my oldest. But I want to go back just a few additional years. Let's say 13, 14 years uh, before I was married to my beautiful, lovely wife. We were engaged. At that point in time, I was living in West Texas, working for a great nonprofit learning a lot, uh, rediscovering some things about myself. But in my role as this nonprofit executive, I spent hours in my truck driving West Texas. On average, I probably covered 1,200 miles a month. So uh, not as much as others, but certainly more than many cover in that time frame. And if you remember right, uh, around 13 years ago or so, there was another political movement. There was the Tea Party movement. Well, as I was spending so much time driving around in my, my truck, I would listen to conservative talk radio. Yes, Pastor Greg was a conservative talk radio junkie, oftentimes, probably more often than I would like to admit now, agreed with much of what was being said. I read books written by and published by the more conservative media sources and public figures, and I found myself agreeing a lot with the Tea Party, and some of these more conservative voices. Now, I already had my bachelor's degree in theology. I had been working at that point uh, for almost six years in various nonprofit agencies. And then, and then something started to move in my spirit again. I got married, and... Really starting a little bit before that, I really started to go into a period of discernment. That's kind of a churchy word for just figuring out what I'm being called to do, what I should be doing with my time, talents, and effort. And every time I would come back to the same conclusion that being the spouse of a pastor and working in nonprofits was really what I was being called to do. So I worked what after we got married, I worked at various nonprofits. I worked at a Head Start program. I also worked for a county chamber of commerce. And then we knew it was coming time for 
my wife to look at her next call, the next church she would serve as pastor. So we ended up moving to Maryland. We ended up moving to the Baltimore area where she would take a call and I would continue working in nonprofits. Well, I stayed at home for a while with our oldest uh, to help with the transition. Found a job working for an organization, a wonderful organization that worked primarily with homeless male veterans dealing with substance use disorder. I was a volunteer coordinator. I was the guy that would coordinate all the volunteer groups that wanted to come in for a day of service or to feed the residents a meal. I also oversaw the in-kind donations, so clothing and food donations and uh, various other forms of donations that would come in. And I talked with the men. See, what was amazing about this nonprofit was, yes, you would come in and serve a meal. But after you served the first helping, the first plates, the, you know, everyone, all the residents went through the line once. It was at that point that as a volunteer, you were really encouraged to go get a plate. And if you weren't hungry, to at least go out into the dining room and eat and talk with the residents of this facility, this this organization. So because the volunteers were expected to do that, I too started to talk with these gentlemen and started to hear their stories, started to understand them as much as I could, asking questions and learning. I learned a lot. This was downtown Baltimore. And if you remember, there was the Freddie Gray uprising. I was at work in downtown Baltimore when that happened. One of the two locations for the nonprofit that I was working for was three blocks away from really the epicenter of those few days. I had volunteers that were scheduled to come in and serve a meal at both locations that day. And I remember watching and listening and reading about what was going on. I remember hearing some of the conversations of the men of the organization. And I remember, in some ways, the fear I felt. I ended up having to go a different way home altogether to uh, avoid the the mass of people that were gathering. The volunteer groups were canceled. In fact, if I remember right, I canceled volunteer activities for the coming week because we didn't know what was going to happen as far as curfews and things of that nature. This whole time I was listening, I was talking, I was watching, I was reading, and I had to start to come to terms with some uncomfortable truths. And again, almost yearly, I started going through 
a discernment process around the church season of Lent. It was through the events of Freddie Gray and getting to know the men and the people that were being served by the organization I was working for that I ultimately decided that maybe the seminary thing was so that what I was being called to. I would read, I would study, I would listen to podcasts, I would go through that process, a real intentional time of discernment. And I remember I was sitting on the Baltimore light rail, praying and thinking and processing. And I ultimately said, all right, God, if you want me to try this seminary thing, I'll give it a go. Thinking, surely not me. And it was amazing. Over the course of the next couple months, things fell into line where not only was I admitted to seminary, I was given an opportunity to kind of brush off my rusty theological mind and attend a course at another seminary for free. I was able to be entranced into my denomination's candidacy process. And I remember it was shortly before seminary was to start, I sat down with an old college friend of mine that happened to be now a pastor serving in the same synod. It was right before our uh, synod assembly. I remember we went and I said... And I told this to my wife. It's people like you that have helped me understand what it means to be called to seminary. Or at least to go through this process. And I said, you know, no offense, but I kind of hope that when I'm done with seminary, I'm not like you. You see, this friend of mine was very, very focused on social justice. And I I knew I was being called to something and I thought I'm being called to parish ministry, not to rock the boat, not to upset the apple cart, to speak God's truth and love in a parish in a congregational setting. Not to be someone who is constantly raising the question, raising the concern of social justice, because I still, in many ways, had some of my old thoughts. So when I said that, I was also saying, I hope that God, that my education, that my further time spent reading and praying and trying to come to an understanding of who and what God and Jesus are, that... I wouldn't be changed. That I could stay more or less the same person that I have been, holding more or less the same thoughts and opinions that I had. So I go off to seminary. Now, I have to explain a little bit to you guys if you are unfamiliar. My denomination requires a Master's in Divinity that takes 
around four years to complete at a graduate level before you are ordained. Part of that four years is some practical, like, internship education. And for me, there was about 72 hours of graduate-level theological thought and classes to take. So there was a lot of time spent in God's Word, a lot of time praying, a lot of time reading, not just contemporary theologians, but hearing them lecture, and also reading classical or, you know, theologians that many have read that have stood the age of time. And the more I did this, the more my journey continued, the more I came to understand that, yes, there are certain things that we are called to speak out against. And it's fitting that I recorded this episode the night before the day that all of us, or much of the country, commemorate Martin Luther King Jr., or I should say, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Because it was his class, or it was a class on the life and ethics, the theology of Martin Luther King Jr. that really started to drive an uncomfortable point home. The uncomfortable point was much of my thoughts previously, I was focused on what was good for me, what was good for people like me, what was good for my friends. Beyond that, I... Sadly, didn't really have a dog in the fight, as we say. So I continued to think that way until this class on the life, ethics, and theology of MLK. And in that class, we read many of his letters and speeches. We even spent time listening to his speeches. And part of the thing that we read was that a great letter of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, letter from Birmingham Jail. And in that, if you haven't read the whole thing, I highly encourage you to do it. But in that letter, there's a quote that I now quote every year on MLK Day, as well as throughout the year, because it's a reminder that we need constantly. And that quote is, First, I must confess that over the last few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the greatest stumbling block in the stride towards freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who consistently says, I agree with you in the goal you seek. But I can't agree with your methods 
of direct action, who paternalistically feels he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by the myth of time, and who consistently advises to wait until a more convenient time. Shallow understanding for people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. And I remember I read that quote, I read that passage multiple times. This was the January of my first year in seminary. At that time, I was a part-time student who was commuting to the seminary campus. I was taking this class of MLK or about MLK as a J-term course. It was an intensive. I went up to campus and stayed on campus for the full week. I was away from my family. And I read this quote. And I read it over and over and over again because I had to come to the understanding that at that point in time, I was the white moderate that MLK described. I was the white moderate who was more interested in preserving any peace, peace at any cost. And it was that moment when my journey took a turn. It was at that moment when I said, regardless of how this seminary thing works out, some things need to change. When I reflect on that quote, when I reflect on the things I learned in downtown Baltimore, I can't help myself to think that this quote might be even more applicable to us now than it was when MLK first wrote it. You see, my journey continued after that. But I remember that being one of those epiphany moments in seminary. I would continue to spend more time reading and praying and learning from others. I would travel to an, to the continent of Africa for a gathering of global Lutherans, Lutherans from countries throughout this world, and I would learn more. I would come back to seminary and I would spray, spend more time reading and praying by the end of the time I was out of seminary, I came to the conclusion that there is injustice in this world. And that if I say that I love someone else, that I need to speak out against injustices that affect them. I have friends that are in every marginalized group that you can think of. I know people. I know people that who have been targeted with hate. I know people that have been called names, 
who have been assaulted because of their sexuality. If I live, if I live, if I'm going to say I'm going to live a life that is trying to live into the teachings of Jesus Christ, I have to be aware of those things. Even Martin Luther talks about how the Christian is called to be engaged in society so that God's grace can be felt by all. So that the love that we are given can be felt by others. So my journey, yes, right now has resulted in me being a pastor, an ordained minister, and it's led me to this point where I feel called and just as convicted to speak out against injustice. The Greg of 13 years ago that we started with would shake his head in many ways. Would say, especially as a pastor, that I should not be talking about these things. That that's not the church's place. That would be in addition to disagreeing in many ways with the things that I hold dear now. That I hold as sacred obligations. Am I still sometimes that white moderate? Yes. Do I still have a long way to go? Yes. And I'm taking one step forward. I'm continuing down this journey wherever it may lead. And this time, it's not just about me. It's about others. It's about my friends, family, colleagues that are part of these marginalized communities, be it because of their skin color, their brain chemistry and the way they process things, or the people they choose to love. I'm thankful for this journey. It's a journey that continues. It's a journey that I feel fortunate to be on. It's a journey that is challenging. It's a journey that causes me to stumble often. And that's okay. That's part of the beauty of this journey. Especially when you give yourself room and give yourself the understanding that says, yes, I know I'm going to mess up. But I'm going to stand back up. I'm going to dust myself off. I'm going to apologize or at least try to make right and acknowledge how I have caused harm or fallen short when and where I can and keep moving forward. So when I go out and about, I try to act in a way that's in line with this journey. And I hear the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's voice and this quote ringing in my ears. Often, and usually it's paired with Matthew 25, the end of the chapter, 
where it talks about the sheep and the goats. If you're a Christian, you may be familiar with this parable. But ultimately, the righteous and the unrighteous asked Jesus, when was it that we saw you? And Jesus says, whatever you have done or you have not done for the least of these, you have also done unto me. And the least of these that Jesus is referencing earlier in the chapter are the sick, the poor, the marginalized, the people that are suffering, the people that have been outcast, the widows, the orphans, the prisoner. Whatever you have done to the least of these, you have done unto me. You see, when we live or we try to live in what Jesus is telling us in that 25th chapter of Matthew. We can't be the white moderate anymore. And sometimes, this is maybe where you really would disagree with me. Sometimes when we tell pastors, denominations, not to speak out against injustice, We are doing so because we want to continue to live in that peace, in that negative peace that MLK talks about, that negative peace that is absence of, absent of tension. Because we have no problem when pastors, denominations, etc. say things in line with what we feel, what we believe. No, that's okay. Sometimes we'll say, though when we're challenged, especially with verses like Matthew, the end of Matthew 25, Well, you start preaching and talking about that. Well, that suddenly becomes too political, even if it is directly talking about injustice. That's all part of the journey is understanding this. I think that's the journey that we're all on or should be on to get beyond ourselves, to look what's going on around us, to see where there is injustice. I think right now, I'm thinking about one of my favorite Christmas songs as well. It's by the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Its title is The Old City Bar, and it talks about if we could just make this Christmas thing last throughout the year. And the song comes to an end. And one of the closing lines is, To know who needs help, you need only just ask. I would preface or amend that to say, to know who needs help, you only need to ask and look around. See what's happening. See how people are being treated. Look around and see where there is injustice. Let us come to an end of this journey of episode one with this reminder.
that no matter who you are, no matter what others have told you, you matter. You are important. You do and can make this world a better place.